This is Lekka. I'm Lucy Dearlove. That's where people might say I'm a bitch. And that's where I'm like, I'm not here to be your friend. I'm here to do my job. Rachel Koo has been making food television shows and releasing books for almost a decade now. I've always really liked her work. And so when the PR for her new series got in touch and asked if I wanted to speak to her, I was really excited about the chance to do so. And, you know, if we're going back to the very beginning of Rachel's career, she didn't initially train as a chef, but food was always at the centre of her creative work. Yeah, I mean, I went to art college and like at art college, certainly at Central St Martins, their kind of ethos. I mean, this was a while ago. I don't want to say how long ago. <laughs> this like ethos is more about the concept, the idea than rather than the how you, you, you know, how you create it. Because they always believe that if you have a fantastic idea, you can always hire somebody, the craftsperson to fulfill that idea. So they're very much concept driven. It was always about finding the medium to communicate that idea. And I found even at art college, I was using food as a medium to communicate my ideas. So we had a project where we would have to do the shop, a shop model to scale. And I used gingerbread. So I had my scale ruler and I was measuring gingerbread to scale. You know, it's just ridiculous. And that's what brings me back to food and the reason why I love food so much and what I kind of learned from my grandma, from my culture, like something from my Austrian side and my Malaysian side, is food is a way to connect with your community, with your friends and family, and to share a moment. Rachel mentions this idea that food isn't the concept, it's the medium. And I wanted to think about that kind of... um, as it applies to her work in food. And I think it's quite interesting. So we've got her work uh, as the little Paris kitchen, cooking traditional French dishes in an accessible way that was possible in this tiny studio apartment for her two-seater restaurant. She was actually demonstrating navigating a new culture and language through learning and perfecting dishes. Through folding dumplings with her Malaysian family for a cook abroad, she was broaching challenging conversations around heritage and tradition again through the medium of food. In a twist on the concept of her first book and series, she recently made The Little Swedish Kitchen. Like its namesake, in it she is navigating a new country and culture, but this time in the country that she's raising her two children with her Swedish husband. So that's pretty different to kind of carefree 20-something in Paris. But she's very much still got the same friendly, down-to-earth and curious approach to that country's food too. I think all of this really shows that Rachel's work has really grown and evolved with her and in the fickle world that is the UK food industry. I think that's a pretty amazing achievement for somebody who isn't a middle-aged white man. Rachel was just about to go into production on a new TV show when lockdown started. And so her and the network Discovery, their plans had to change. And so Simple Pleasures was born, a skeleton crew, a director on Skype, an improvised kitchen set, and a whole new set of challenges for Rachel. Tell me a bit more about the series. I'd love to hear like, how this came about, because I believe this has been quite a different process to how you normally make TV. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you say different. <laughs> 
We were a week away from filming another TV show and that got, uh, because of lockdown, it got postponed and uh, Discovery reached out and said to me, well, look, are there any ideas you have which would work under lockdown conditions? And I said, look, I'm in Sweden. At the time, I was at my husband's family home in the countryside, which is 400 kilometers south of Stockholm. So you actually fly into Copenhagen, go over the bridge, and then you sit on the train for a couple of hours. So it's closer to Copenhagen than it is to Sweden. So we were in the middle of nowhere in Sweden. And I said, look, I have this idea of just sharing my joy of cooking simple recipes. And it would be shot in my like husband's family's kitchen. Like basically it's my mother-in-law's kitchen. She doesn't live there anymore, but it's all her stuff. I tried to sew a curtain. I cannot sew. I had to use some sticky tape to stick it on. There's also like a, a really ugly dishwasher in the kitchen, which I had to cover up with some fabric. Also sticky tape. If you watch the whole series, you'll notice that the curtain kind of goes up and goes down because the sticky tape <laughs> is not sticking properly. <laughs> And then the white backsplash, it's like just white tiles, which white is not good for cameras, you know. So I I tried to get some colourful sticky tiles, you know, these stickers, which are tiles. And I, I the shop didn't have enough for the whole backsplash, so I had to alternate tiles. But it was all a bit mad because it was like from pitch to producing it was like less than a month. We filmed it over Easter in 10 days, a whole series and my husband and my mother-in-law had to help out with childcare because I've got three old and one year old. Like, and by 4.30 or five, we had to be finished because like my one year old would be like banging on the door and my three, they wanted, like, they was like, it's, we've had enough mummy. We can hear you're in there. Come, we want you. And so that like, there were times where I would get the baby carrier and strap my one year old to the back and have to do the last, like, you know, the hero shot at the end of each recipe. You make it look beautiful. I worked with a super talented DOP, director of photography, who set up three cameras, the sound, the lighting. He did everything. And then we had the director Skype in. So post-production were amazing. So it's a real team effort. I mean, it it looks amazing. Like I have to say, I read the press release when Discovery Centre over and I was like, oh, this is really interesting. Like, I'm going to be really interested to to see how this looks. And then I saw it and I was like, I mean, this looks, I would not have known that this was shot in these conditions. Like, I think it is really amazing how much you pulled off. And also you weren't just, you didn't just pitch it and presented it. You were also the executive producer. That's right. And, And so how, for the purpose of people who don't work in food television how does what does that mean like how is that different from how you would normally make a show so normally I a lot of times I come up with the ideas and I'll pitch the ideas but then I would be more the creative director and the presenter rather than the exec producer it has to check for compliances you know for instance I had to make sure everybody checked their temperature in the morning logged it in check the temperature and even if anybody was over a certain temperature, we would have had to shut down the production. Uh, health and safety, like all the kind of logistics of producing a show, making sure we had enough electricity, blah, 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 all these. So the production side of things, and it's more about taking that extra level of responsibility, which I really relished. I mean, it's amazing to be given that opportunity and to prove that I can do it. But for my next TV show, I will not be doing that. (laughs) Okay, this is my next question. Has this affected how you're going to work in future or are you like never again? (laughs) 
look, I won't shy. I love a challenge. And actually, the older I get, the more I'm trying to see, like, the bumps and, like, the hard, difficult bits in life as, okay, you've got a, you know, this is a challenge, but try and embrace it and not get bogged in, like, the negativity. I I mean, okay, it's not easy. I'm not saying, I'm making it sound easy, but really kind of It doesn't of like, sound easy. <laughs> Just to say. It's not easy, but if you look at it in a positive way, you can see it as a way of uh, growing and pushing yourself and, yeah, and developing your skills. I think the, the, the struggle I have at the moment is, because I have a young family, is making sure that my work doesn't spill out over and affect like the rest of the family. So right. so that's where I'm struggling at the moment is finding those boundaries. Also, for instance, I have no idea how long, you know, TV, you never know when you're next, whether you're gonna get another TV show. So that's why I'm like, well, look, it's always good to show people you can do a different skill set. I did this show on BBC Two, Remarkable Places to Eat, and I worked with two amazing female series producer, Flora Fenton, and exec producer, Katie Fryer. And I saw their scripts, I saw like how the amount of thought, you know, what they, how they were directing, bringing everything together. And it's a real skill set. I mean, I'm still a beginner in this. I've got so much to learn. I'm not at that level of what they put together, you know, so, it's definitely, oh my goodness, I like, I, yeah, wrangling talent, for instance, is an exec producer's job. I mean, I wouldn't want to wrangle talent. I'm like a nightmare to work with. <laughs> no, <laughs> only kidding. I'm only a nightmare because I really care about my work. Yeah, but it bugs me when somebody doesn't do their job. I don't mind, you make one or two mistakes, but strike three, if you can't do your job, stop apologizing, do your job. And that's where like, that's where people might say I'm a bitch. And that's where I'm like, I'm not here to be your friend. I'm here to do my job. It's like, I'm not here to make friends. I'm not here to be nice. I want to make the best quality content possible, you know, and everybody has to play a part in it, you know. So I'm, I'm, I'm really passionate about you get hired because I believe or that the production, you know, company believe that you can do a really good job and that's why you were hired do you think that that's something that you've definitely learned with experience like do you think you had the same attitude when you were starting out no I definitely had it I was too shy I was too like uh, oh I don't want I want everybody to like me oh I'll be your best friend like please like me let's hang out let's be chummy chummy da, 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 kind of thing and now I'm like okay it might upset me a little bit you know that somebody doesn't like me, but then I'm like, we're not hanging out, you know? Right. Why am I me? And also I feel like there are so many people, I mean, in food and generally, but definitely in food, that do act like that. And it's well known that they are not just doing their job and want people to do a good job, but they are actively egotistical or they are actively difficult to work with and they get away with it. And I feel like it, it becomes, especially if you're a woman, like it, it can be really hard like, oh my goodness, don't that. get me going on about the double standards. 
Oh, please, about being a woman in the media versus being a man or a white middle-aged man. Absolutely, yeah. I better better be quiet because I got myself in a lot of trouble or when I did publicity for another TV show about that whole thing. <laughs> see, you see, I've read that this, I've listened to a couple of podcast episodes that you've done sort of the past over, over the few mm. years and I've, I've heard you talk about this and I'm really interested to th- to, to know whether you think that this might change. Maybe you will stop getting into trouble for saying this because I do feel like we're at a point now where in the world in general and in media, we need to talk about the fact that there is huge white privilege in the industry and people yes. succeed with an amount of talent that they wouldn't get to the place where they are if they weren't a white man. Like, And if you don't want to talk about it, it's fine. But I, I do think it's an no, important conversation. Like, I definitely, and it's something I've recently been grappling with and maybe not so much publicly. I... I feel like, I don't know, my social media persona is very much about work. You know, I don't really put my private life on there. I just keep it like, okay, you can keep up to date with my TV shows. And I do the odd, oh, I'm going for a run or I'm eating this or, you know, just like here and there, like, because it's a job in itself. I am managing everything and there's only so much I can do. But I have always been very strong advocate, like there needs to be more female talent. And even before I did TV, I used to get so annoyed with these chef conferences in Paris where it was all white middle-aged men. And I was like, what the, you know, it's like the problem is women don't get backing for restaurants because they don't get the media exposure. They don't get the media exposure because they don't get the backing for the restaurant. Like, it's like this. Yeah. And and we're seeing the same thing now with like social media following and like and publishing and and the whole thing is a cycle. And it, we yeah. prioritise certain voices above others and it means that people don't get heard and stories don't get told. And, and I mean, that's something that I just, I've always found really impressive about your career. Like you have demonstrated through all the work that you've done that you're a multifaceted person. Like you lived in Paris, you live in Sweden now. Um, you, you went to Malaysia and made a programme about your family in Malaysia. You went to Austria and made a programme about growing up around Austrian food and that side of your family. And I actually think that is so rare in this industry. And I think it's a credit to you that you have made this show and you haven't allowed anyone to put you in a box like you haven't allowed anyone to be like okay well you've done the Paris kitchen that's what you have to do forever now you've progressed and and I just think like it's such a like a kind of shamefully rare thing especially for women and women of colour like I just I mean how has that felt from the inside of that? Well, look, um, I've always felt fortunate that I've been given this platform, but I've always just taken on projects which I believe are right for me. And my mum said to me, just before The Little Paris Kitchen aired, she said to me, look, there's just one thing you need to be aware of. It's all going to change with the show airing. Just stay true to yourself. And and that's something I really try with all my projects I do. I like it has to be something... I'm proud of, I'm passionate about, and has a connection to me. So, because I have to go and sell it afterwards. And I'm no actor. I'm so bad at acting. So it's, you know, it helps if you're passionate about it. So I've been fortunate. I have been able to do those projects. But, you know, you see from the front, I'm doing all these amazing projects. I have pitched out of every project which ends up on TV. I've probably, probably pitched another 10 others. I'm constantly like coming up with ideas and sending them out. So, and you are knocking on doors and you, you have to consistently try, you know, you can't just twiddle your thumbs and think people are going to come to you with an idea. You know, you have to like uh, 
go to the channel, say, look, what content are you looking for? What boxes do you need to tick? And how do those boxes fit with your kind of USP, what you stand for? Channels and publishers are businesses. All they care about at the end of the day is viewers, rating figures, and selling like books. And certainly now in the TV industry, because there's been a huge cut in ad sale budget, which is gonna affect the TV budget, that means it's more important, to, like it's so important now to prove to the channel that you can bring in the viewers. I did French and German at uni, so I did a year abroad. Ah. So I think it really kind of, when you were making that show, it was a few years after I'd graduated. And I was like, oh, wow, this is like, I feel like this is a whole, because it was very much you navigating life in this country that you were unfamiliar with and maybe not being the most confident in the language, which was absolutely something that I related to. But I mean, I just can't really believe that it's been almost 10 years, I mean, not quite eight years since. I know, oh, I didn't yeah, want to rub it in, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I was just interested to 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 know like how how you feel the industry has changed over that time. So I was looking at some of the other shows that were kind of big at that time and we had like MasterChef was huge, Great British Bake Off was huge, obviously Nigella, obviously Nigel Slater, Man vs Food was maybe one of the US shows that was starting to come through at that time with a few others. But now I feel like we're in a really different place and with everyone having access Do to you? well, in a sense, let me get to the let me get there. I will get okay. there. <laughs> It's more like we have, everyone has access to Netflix and we have Chef's Table. And I mean, there are obviously, there are huge caveats here and I don't think these shows are perfect. But then we have like Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. We have things like um, Taco Chronicles and Midnight Diner, which are non-English language food shows. And everyone can kind of access those as easy as they can switching on um, the BBC, for example. Do you think that that has changed people's expectations of what we want from food shows. And do you think that that might provide opportunity for different stories to be told? Or, I mean, I feel like from your response earlier on in my little monologue there, maybe you don't agree that things have changed. And I'm really interested to hear that perspective. Like in one way, I feel like things have definitely changed. Like if you look at social media, the fact there's some amazing food writers who are using social media as their platform rather than traditional media. And so they'll start on YouTube and then they will go over to traditional media. But I still think there's certainly in the UK could do with a bit more diversity. And that is something I am really addressing with my own TV shows when I do travel and cookery how can I make sure I have more diversity with the people I go and see and how can I push in that way I mean I already when I was speaking to the production company who helped me like we co-produce Simple Pleasures with who also like I'm working with on this new TV series I said to them when I first met them I said look diverse behind the scenes in front of the camera is super important to me. And it's not just a token person. We really need to push and you have to work harder. That means the researcher and the producer has to dig a bit deeper to find those people because they don't get the media exposure. So it's easier just to find the people at the top. But if you really want to, it needs definitely to come from the production to give people from these like uh, different groups in society a voice. I think something else that's been kind of heartening and why I feel generally, you know, I'm trying to be positive about 
maybe a shift towards you know foods maybe looking a little bit different on screen and on the internet and in print is that I think there's maybe been a sense of people building their own platforms and I think that's something that's really exciting and I noticed on your Twitter that you're a patron of Vittles which is one of my favorite food newsletters so I just wanted to ask you if there's any kind of new food writers or not even new but food writers that maybe aren't covered a lot um that you really love oh my goodness I am still exploring that I like uh, the problem is like I just don't have enough time to actually <laughs> you're pretty absorb. busy Rachel <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to and so I I try and read Vittles actually they had a great piece by Lara Lee about yes. sambal and I love oh my goodness love spices and I actually She's got a fantastic book. Yeah, it's, it's um, coconut and sambal, uh, I think. Yes, exactly. The pink and green cover. I yes. think in visuals rather than titles. And uh, Ravneet uh, Jill. Gill? I always forget it. She's the pastry chef. Do you know her? Oh my gosh, she's got the... Hang on, I've got the book here. The Pastry Chef's Guide. It's an amazing book. And she did a pop-up called Puff Bakery. And she does an online course... Yeah, so I love her. I think she's brilliant with her partner, Nicole. They have so much energy, so dynamic. And she's really like, this is how you want to do it. And kind of very matter of fact, but really passionate about pastry. So there's so many people. It's really, uh, I mean, there's Rachel Ammer. Uh, she's a vegan food writer. I actually was so fortunate last year, I recorded a podcast series, which is coming out later this month. And she cooked for me these jerk mushrooms with, uh, oh my goodness, it was so good. I literally had to, I ate all the leftovers. <laughs> I like hoovered them up. It was like, I just think about it all the time, but it was amazing. And she uh, does her own YouTube videos. She's just so like, I mean, she makes it look so effortless. I watch it and I'm like, how does she do it? She's like so at ease and comfortable. And I'm like, yeah. So I am really in awe, certainly of the next generation, because I'm going to be 40 this year. <laughs> but like this new generation of women from all these diverse backgrounds who are, I think they have a certain level of confidence, which I didn't naturally have when I first started off. Yeah, it's really exciting. And how they're just like, um, the French word is like, assume. they just have this, uh, they just like, taking it for themselves and making it happen. And, and I love that when people like, okay, traditional media might not give me the platform, but I have the means to do it myself. And that was something I started with the Little Paris Kitchen. I started a blog, a newsletter, Facebook. And I just like, right, I'll just do it my way. I am aware that I do have a white privilege in the fact that, you know, I grew up middle class I got great education. Um, my skin color hasn't been, you know, like I don't. Yeah, it's there's a lot of things I'm kind of dealing with, so I am aware of that. And but then I have people who are in the industry, and it's like you are Asian, people <laughs> like with my surname, and certainly sometimes the way I look on camera. So I don't know where I fit at the moment, and that's probably when you're mixed race, you're not sure where you fit. Whether you feel more, I feel more European than I feel like Chinese or Malaysian, even though that's part of my culture. So it's definitely something I'm I'm grappling with uh, that cultural identity and the fact that I have white privilege and all these things and a lot of internal like work at the moment, which people don't see like on their outside. 
And that's why for me, being the executive producer on this show was really important. I got the credit because I wanted to prove to the industry, you can be a woman of mixed race and you can achieve this. It's not easy, but you can, you know, it it was like for me, I don't know, ticking a box, but I wanted to prove to myself and also to people that it is possible. So, um, yeah, that was really important as well. Look, before I forget, I I have to mention, so, you know, I kind of realised, like, all my TV shows, I work with amazing behind-the-scenes crew. And, like, with this TV show, I didn't get to do that. I was supposed to do that, but I didn't get to do that. So a lot of people in the TV industry at the moment are really suffering because... They don't get the government help because of the furlough scheme, da 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 da. And so I um, put together all the recipes from the e um, from the TV series, and I made it into e cookbook. And all the proceeds from that recipe book is going to the film and TV charity in the UK, who are doing great work. Like they've got a helpline, they've got financial support, like mental, like health with people in the TV industry who don't necessarily get that. And I do understand there's so many other amazing charities out there, but the book costs only five pounds or you can donate more. You can get it on my website, you get all the recipes from the series and you help out the charity. Rachel Koo's Simple Pleasures is out now on Food Network and you can download the accompanying ebook on her website for £5 with, as Rachel mentioned there, all the proceeds going to the film and TV charity to help support members of the industry hit hard by lockdown. I just made the peach ripple ice cream sandwiches from the book and they were amazing. It was a real delight to talk to Rachel. Like I said to her, I've always really admired her ability to evolve her work and prove what she's capable of. And it's incredibly positive to hear of her efforts in pushing representation both behind and in front of the camera on her shows. At this point, the mainstream food media can feel almost unmovingly stale, pale and male, as they say. So work like Rachel's is very much needed. And now we just need to work on restaurant critics. Thanks so much for listening. You can find me on social media at Lekker Podcast. And you can find Rachel there too, of course, at Rachel Cooks. That's K-H-O-O-K-S, like her surname, but Cooks. And I will be back with another episode very soon. Bye. Bye.